0: Hey everyone, before you dive into this week's teaching from Pastor Andre, we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you find this podcast to be encouraging or helpful in growing deeper in your faith, would you take a few seconds and share it with someone? They too could be needing the very same thing that you received. Again, thanks for listening and we pray that you have a wonderful day. We are continuing in our Sermon on the Mount uh, series. We are almost done. We have one more week after this. Um, It's been so good. Uh, This Sermon on the Mount is such a foundational place to start when we're uh, trying to understand Jesus and who he is and his kingdom, and uh, we see that his teaching not only draws us closer to his kingdom and his church, but also to the person of Jesus, which is the perfect place where we want to be, drawn closer to him. Our prayer as pastors as we were developing this series and throughout this series has been that... You are all reminded or taught for maybe the first time the truths of Christ's kingdom. You're encouraged to live radically for Him, and uh, that you are brought closer to Him. So we pray that that's been happening, that that's going to continue to happen through the next couple weeks. Um, We've seen over the last several weeks how Jesus is rebuilding uh, the people's understanding of the law, of what it means to live for Him. We've seen how upside down God's kingdom is compared to the kingdoms of the world. And we've seen how good it is to live how God intended humanity to live. And now, in our passage this morning, we're going to see the tone of Jesus start to close out this sermon. We're approaching the end. And I love uh, Jesus' intentionality about prepping his disciples uh, for the future of feeling the weight and burden of carrying this ministry and being the representatives of Christ's kingdom every day. He's been equipping them with, with the knowledge and the tools, and the mindset, and the approach to, be, uh, to do this every day of their lives. And so today in our passage, Jesus will be addressing some aspects of the faith that are familiar with all of us, and yet areas that I'm sure could use some encouragement and motivation. And so I want to ask, have you ever felt discouraged in your prayer life? Have you ever felt lost in your prayer life? Maybe you don't know what to pray. Have you ever felt that your prayer life is is kind of stagnant? It's not really doing anything. Have you ever been tempted to think that prayer, your prayers, are ineffective? Have you wondered if your prayers are actually doing anything? If God is listening? If God is there? If you said yes to any of those, you wouldn't be alone. I, I've been there. I'm sure many of you have been there. Uh, in fact, many of the Jewish people at the time would have felt something similar. The Jewish people, people that Jesus is speaking to, they were a praying people. Since the time of Moses through the Old Testament, through the wilderness, through captivity, through the prophets, uh, they have this habit of praying ingrained in them. They are petitioning to God for all their needs, uh, for relief, for provision, for strength, for forgiveness for healing, for grace, for everything, they would petition to God and ask him to provide. The Jewish people were a praying people. They prayed through the Psalms, the book that we know in the Bible, that was their prayer book. And they prayed through that book so often that many of them had a lot of it memorized. They prayed so often that Jesus knew that they sometimes wondered if God was answering their prayers, if God really cared and if their prayers were even worth it. It can be a funny thing how communication with our Creator, with God, can actually be a very testing and up-and-down journey that goes through seasons of rich growth and communication. You feel so close to Him, and it can also go through dry seasons of scarce communication, and you're wondering, you feel the tension of, are God and I still close? Are we still together? I don't know if you've ever felt that with a friend maybe. You've gone through a season of life where you guys are texting or hanging out, calling, talking to each other all the time. And then maybe you enter this season where you haven't talked to them in a while and you realize, man, it's been like a month since I've connected with that person. And, and you know that you're still friends. You know that you're probably still really close friends, but you just don't feel that closeness like you did when it was talking all the time. And I think the same can be true with God. Jesus knew the hearts of the people he was teaching and he knew that They needed it, and we need it today. They need a little pep talk about prayer life. And so Jesus' words in the passage we're about to read address uh, temptations about prayer, discouragements about prayer, and maybe even disbelief about prayer. So if you want to read along in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen, we're in Matthew 7, verse 7. It says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And so the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, then though you are though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Now, it can be easy for us to uh, feel guilty about our lack of prayer. I mean, especially as the pastor just brought up prayer, you're like, oh, my goodness, I haven't been praying as much as I should have. Don't worry. I don't, I'm don't. i not here to convict you. That's the spirit if you're feeling that. But uh, it's easy to feel guilty. Maybe we're not as consistent as we want to be. We're discouraged about feeling guilty. And it can just be the spiral of, man, prayer, my prayer life is not what it should. I know I'm supposed to be uh, praying without ceasing or whatever it is. And here, Jesus' words are not meant to push you down farther in your guilty feelings. He's here to motivate you. He's here to encourage you in your prayer life. By casting a compelling vision of who God is and his character, he wants you to feel motivated to pray. So let me read verses 7 and 8 again. It says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to see that God is there. God will answer. God hears their prayers. It can be tempting to think at times that God is distant, that he is uncaring. I know that I felt this. There are moments when I have cried out. And I felt lost. I've wondered, God, are you hearing my cries right now? Do you see the state that I'm in right now? I've wondered if God is is there seeing and and knowing what I'm going through. There's someone in the Bible who often felt like this. David of the Psalms. I mean, how many Psalms are there where David is crying out to God, asking for help? As, God, do you see me right now? God, I'm in pain. I'm hurting. You must remember that Jesus also knows the temptations to to think this way. He knows the temptations that we feel even in prayer. He went through 40 days in the wilderness. He had an agonizing prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was talking with God in an agonizing way on the cross. Christ knows the temptation that we may face or that we may think of to think that God is distant or uncaring or not involved. And he's telling us, no, God is there. Just ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He's saying, don't stop praying. Don't stop. Keep talking with God. God is there and he'll respond. At times we can become discouraged in our belief in God and the act of prayer because it seems that God may not be respond, responding. And we wonder, why are my prayers going unanswered? I've been praying, maybe I have kept up in praying, and I'm not getting the answer that I think I should have to my prayers. And Jesus' words here are helping us fight that discouragement too. Jesus says, Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. It may not be how we imagined it. It may not be the answer that we wanted or that we think is the answer, but God will respond. And sometimes he responds in funny ways. He, he responds in out-of-the-box answers. The Old Testament is full of these. I mean, think of um, Jericho and the walls. The Israelite people were crying out, God, you have called us to uh, conquer this land. Help us. Help us do this. And he responds in this way of, well, I want you to walk around the city and I want you to cry at the top of your lungs. Probably not what they were thinking the answer would be. Or an interaction with Gideon and the fleece. And this very out-of-the-box way of answering Gideon's questions and demands, God, I want to know. Even what Jesus has been preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, God's kingdom is not the answer to their prayers that they thought they wanted. They thought Jesus was going to come, going to conquer the Roman Empire, this kingdom that was going to be on earth, they thought, was going to be their kingdom. And God's answering with, "I, I got a different answer for you. I got an answer. It's just not what you expect. So sometimes our prayers are going answered. It's just in a different way. and Maybe we're not seeing how God is answering our prayers. Other times, maybe the lack of an answer is the answer. Unanswered prayer doesn't mean that no one is there. It doesn't mean that God is too busy to answer. It doesn't mean that God is too distant and can't hear you. It doesn't mean that your problems are too small and God's got to do with the big stuff going on on earth. Your issues don't... I don't He doesn't have time for it. That's not what that means. Those are lies that the enemy would love for you to believe. But Jesus says otherwise. Jesus is sharing God's character. And God is a God who is present and desires relationship with his people. He wants to help encourage and motivate the people to pray and to continue to communicate with God. This is the same God who walked in the garden with Adam. Wanted that relationship with him. This is the same God who conversed with Abraham. Told Abraham, here's where I want you to go. I'm with you. This is the same God who led and talked with Moses regularly. And this is the God who sent his son to come down incarnate and hung out with his disciples for three years in person. This is a God who wants relationship. He desires relationship with you in prayer is an essential part of that relationship. Just like in any of our relationships here on earth, we have to talk, right? We got to talk at some point. I know sometimes maybe for you married couples there's time at the end of the day where you're just silent, and you're like this is the best. We don't need to talk right now. It's been a long day. But at some point you do need to talk and we got to communicate and and God's okay with that too like, hey, we don't need to talk right now. You can just be silent with me. There's there's a place for that. At some point we need to pray. We need to communicate and we need to listen for God to communicate with us. Another issue that we can face during prayer is becoming uh, maybe so soured on the idea of praying and so calloused about praying that in talking with God, we think that if God knows everything, why do I need to pray? If If God knows everything going on, knows my life, why bother asking and talking to God? And again, it's because he wants that interaction with us. He wants that relationship in partnership with our lives, as um, as a parent, I know at this stage as a she's only three and a half, I pretty much know all the needs of my daughter's life, and there are times when I can see a need, but I still want her to ask. I still want her to go through the process of "I need this, can I please have it?" Uh, and to see not only to practice communication but also to see that we as parents are there for her, and we're going to give her what she needs. There's other times where I know exactly what she needs before maybe she knows it, and I'll give it to her, and I'll, I'll give what she needs, and, oh, thank you. I didn't, yeah, and her life continues on just fine. and She probably didn't even know that she was about to want something. And I think God does things so similar with us. There are times when God provides for us, we didn't even know that we needed something, and we may never know. We may not get to heaven. And he's like, by the way, I did that for you that one time. I'm like, what? That was crazy. My life just continued. I didn't know that you had made that happen. And we are blessed. And hopefully, when we do see that God provided, we, we praise him. And we, God, thank you for that. And there are other times where I think God might be waiting for us to communicate our needs to him. He knows. He does know what our needs are. But he wants us to go through that process so that we can see how he will answer, how he will give us what we need that we can see that he is there. So Jesus continues to encourage and motivate his disciples to pray. And now in our passage, he brings in theology and our understanding of God the Father. Verses 9 through 11 read, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you... Then though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We need to understand that our theology, which is our understanding of who God is, shapes our prayers. The smaller we think God is, the smaller our prayers are going to be. The more distant we believe God to be, the less we'll pray about the details in our lives. However, the larger we think God is, the bigger we think the God is that we serve, the better our prayers will be. We will recognize that God, we do believe that God can handle anything. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give you good things to those who ask? Author uh, Tom Wright uh, writes this. He says, but for most of us, the problem is not that we are too eager to ask for wrong things. The problem is that we are not eager enough to ask for the right things. And our understanding of who God is will help us ask for the right things. If we understand the character of God, what he's seeking, what he's wanting of us, that will help shape our prayers of what we're going to ask of him. So, part of having a small theology, uh, a theology, a theology of a small God, is also we tend to figure out things for ourselves. We think, God, you are only, only capable of this. I'll help you out, God. I got some good ideas. There's always, if we're starting to think that way, that's like a flag. Don't think that you have better ideas than God. There are times when we're tempted in prayer to figure things out for ourselves. I don't know if this is, you've caught yourself doing this. I do this way too often. I love to solve things, and I think we all tend to love to solve the issues that are in front of us. And sometimes we do it in prayer. So maybe if you're having a relationship problem with someone, you're like, "God, God, I'm coming before you, and I'm asking for your help. Me and this person are not getting along. I just want you to restore this relationship. Okay, so far in that prayer, good. Good prayer. You're asking God to do something that God can do. But what if we continue like, God, if you could just help that person see things from my perspective, I think I think everything would be okay. So if you could just do that, help them see what I'm saying, then I think the issue will be solved. And I think there we've crossed the line. Right, We're saying, God, I think I've solved it. You just need to make this happen or maybe it's something else like a, a, you think that you need something in life and so you're god i i just need a new job or for more money please give me this raise or or this new job to make the amount that i need to make and if we pause and think about it i mean have we already determined that money is the answer to our issues right there is there something else that god is calling us to that we're not even aware of because we think we solved it all by hey if i just make this much more then life is good so god just I did the hard work of figuring out the the solution. God, can you just make that happen, please? Sometimes we're tempted to solve our own problems and leave God to kind of be this genie of just like, hey, just make this happen, God. You and I, partners, I think you do. Not, not, Not what God intended. Not what God wants to do. Sometimes our petitions actually become suggestions of how God should intervene in our lives. And we do this because deep within, somewhere in our hearts or in our minds, we have a theology, a misunderstanding of who God is. We think that we know best, and for whatever reason, we think that maybe God is too busy, or we just want to help him out. Uh, Maybe he hasn't been paying attention to my life, so God, I'm just going to catch you up with, here's what I need. And we, in doing so, are shrinking who God is. Verses 10 through 11 help address that God is better than we could imagine How much more will God give us We also see this uh, see that Jesus is addressing this relationship of God being a father We sing a song here at church the good good father and that's true God is a good good father but we should remember this point that a good father is a good father because they're like God. God isn't like a good father. God is the good father. God is a good father, and a good father is a good father because they are being like God. And a good father, God is contrasting this earthly parent, saying that they're evil, and even evil people can give good gifts. How much more will the good heavenly father, how much more will he give? And so in this first section, Jesus has taught people how to pray. And we've seen him now motivate his followers to pray because of how good God is. He has helped in people's discouragement and disbelief and reinforced the power of prayer. And now Jesus pivots and lays the foundation for one of the most important parts of this sermon on the mountain. It's just one verse, but it is a huge culmination of his teaching. This is the culmination of the Sermon on the Mount. It's a teaching that is foundational to live the life that Jesus has called us to. So let's read verse 12 together. It says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. You may know this as the golden rule, right? Jesus is aware of uh, two common approaches or reactions to the law. When I say the law, I'm not talking about the laws we have today. I'm talking about the Old Testament, and that's what the Jewish people would have thought. If he was saying, hey, this sums up the law and the prophets, he's talking about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, he's all, all the laws that are in the Old Testament, this sums them all up. And there were a lot. There were a lot of laws. There are two common approaches to the law. One approach is to see the law as a general guideline, and they f- people feel the need to fill it out or to multiply the law in order to cover as many situations as possible. And this is what governments today do. This is what the Pharisees did. I have an example of an approach to the law where we need every detail possible. So this is, we get it, right? There's like some days that you shouldn't be parking. This might be a little, a little lot of thinking when you're pulling up to a parking spot and you got to really look at everything, your calendar, what time it is. And then process. That's a lot. So this is like going, we're going to define every single instance of when this is okay and not okay. And this is also what the, the Pharisees did, right? They, they came, they, uh, sorry, they came up with so many details about what you can do and what you cannot do. You know, how many steps you can take on the Sabbath. You're only allowed so many on the day of rest because after this many steps, you're no longer resting. That's how detailed we're going to get. And some cringe at this. They think the spirit of the law is no longer there, and it leads to this legalism, which the Pharisees were definitely guilty of. The other approach that we can have to the law is to simplify the law, right? To reduce it to its essence. And some cringe at this because they think it leads to too liberal of a view of the law. They've lost, there's no structure to hold people accountable. Thankfully, Jesus is neither legalistic nor liberal, and what he's doing with the law, Jesus reduces the law to this sentence, in order to make it more doable and understandable for us, because again he's working in the context of the Pharisees, who had come up with so many things they forgot that the law was about being like God, to follow God's call. It says, "Do unto others what you would have them do unto you." He would uh, later reiterate this in. Matthew 22, something you're probably familiar with, it says, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul shares Jesus' thought in Romans. Paul writes, for the, commands, uh, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul writes again in Galatians 5.14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so we see in this one verse, verse 12, that the will of God is to learn to love others as oneself. To treat others the way that we would want to be treated. Do to others what you would have them do to you. There's a part of Jesus' teaching here that references self-love. And maybe that has a negative connotation to you, but Jesus is meaning it in a very positive way here. Scott uh, McKnight, who wrote a great commentary on this Sermon on the Mount, says there's something radically important in the golden rule. And perhaps Matthew 5:43 through 48 is the place to find that radicality. Self-love is the fertile ground for growing love for all. Including one's enemy. When we start to think, "Man, I know that I would prefer to be treated in this way in this situation, or I would prefer to be spoken to with these words, if I was the person on the other end, or I would, I would love to be blessed in this way in these circumstances." When we start to think like that more and more, and the first thing that we think of when dealing with someone else, that's the direction that Jesus wants us to go. Not thinking do I have time to do that? Is this convenient for me? Can I love this person and what's going on with the rest of my life? When we're putting others first and loving others like we would want to be treated. That's, that's the direction that Jesus is pushing us towards. Self-care can lead to other care, right? I know that I would love this. Let me treat someone else like that. So if you're, these are simple examples, but if you're at home and your neighbor's gone on a trip, Maybe it's just as simple as taking their mail in, making sure that all their packages are not stolen and left on the porch. Because you know that you would appreciate that. You would, I, I would love that, so I'm going to do that for them. Or maybe at work, you have a coworker who is going through a hard time. And maybe you're like, hey, I would love, I know that when I was at work and going through a hard time, just someone commiserating with me, connecting with me, s- encouraging me. Or maybe my boss is coming down hard on me and maybe someone's going to stick up for me and say, hey, no, they are doing it right. Whatever it is in that situation, what if we do that at work? And then here at church, I mean, this should be the place that this is all the time. Church should, this should be happening uh, regularly. The church should be the example that we can point to and reference as a place where everyone is thinking of others first, of loving others the way that they love themselves. Exercising. This golden rule may be the best witness tool we have. We may not get to have conversations with people all the time, but through our actions, through the way we treat people, if they see that we are putting them first, if we're loving them in a way that the rest of the world doesn't love them, be an opportunity sparking there for further conversation. Why are you doing that? Why are you, why did you do that for me? I don't understand. Exercising the golden rule leads to a measured humility and a servant's heart. And it leads to thinking and living just as Christ did. So we see this morning through these verses that Jesus was intentional to motivate his disciples to pray, expanding their view of their Heavenly Father. He's equipped them with the knowledge of God, the tools and the approach to deal with people in their lives. And so now I want to ask some questions of us this morning. How are you feeling about your prayer life? Just between you and God. How are you feeling about your prayer life? Does God feel distant right now? Do you feel discouraged that God isn't answering? Are you trying to figure out life for yourself? Are you doing that thing where you're solving your own problems? Well, remember that God is good and God answers. That God is there. He is present. Remember that God wants this relationship with you. He wants you to keep asking. He wants you to talk with him. He wants to hear from you. And then as we look outward to how we are interacting with other people, how are you treating others in your life? From friends, family, coworkers, people here in this room, neighbors. Are you treating others? Are you thinking about them in a way that shows them God's love? Are you treating them as you would want to be treated? Let's wrestle whatever those answers are. And if they're encouraging, good, be encouraged. If there's room for improvement, follow God in where he's calling you. Wrestle with these questions and and see where the Spirit leads you this week. Maybe there's going to be opportunities. It's funny how God often does that, where once your mind is attuned to something that might need work, there's probably going to be an opportunity this week for you to live that out, to see if you are able to follow God in where he's calling you. But be encouraged. God wants you to pray. He wants to have a relationship with you. Thanks for listening. And if you would, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an encouraging review to help others find our podcasts on whatever platform you are listening on. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next week.